The CBF podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. Hey, podcast listeners, this is your host, Andy Hale. We are thrilled to bring you another year of CBF's podcast with a cavalcade of brilliant guests such as Father Tom Reese, Washington Post's Sarah Pulliam Bailey, Mark Charles, Soong Chen Ra, and Matthew Paul Turner. And that's just skimming the surface of the first few months. As you know, last fall, we launched the Podcast Listener Support Project. This is an opportunity for you to connect closer with the podcast and premier guest. By becoming a podcast supporter, you can join me on an interview with premier guests such as Walter Brueggemann, Sarah Bessie, and Brian McLaren. So check out cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. This week's CBF Podcast Conversation is brought to you by Equal Exchange. Equal Exchange is a 33-year-old fair trade organization that works with small-scale farmers in 20 countries to bring you organic coffee, tea, chocolate, cocoa, and nuts. Serve high-quality coffee during fellowship that matches your congregation's values with prices starting at $0.10 a cup. Fundraising with fairly traded products at an Easter or Christmas event. Equal Exchange also offers a line of products from Palestinian farmers in the West Bank, including organic olive oil, moftul, frika, and dates. For more information, visit equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. That's equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. Our guest for this special CBF podcast conversation is Paul Baxley. Paul is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Executive Coordinator. Paul, thank you for joining the conversation. I'm glad to be here. Now, before we get to the a conversation about the fellowship and churches, uh, take us into how you are personally coming to terms with all this. You're a father and a husband. 
what's been going through your mind as all this has been developing so rapidly over the last two weeks? Well, so much has been going through my mind. So as you mentioned, I am a father and our oldest child is a high school senior. And so as um, we've been coming to terms more and more with the steps that uh, not just we as a family need to take, but that the, uh, our larger culture needs to take uh, to respond to the spread of COVID-19, it's become pretty obvious really quickly that a lot of things that high school seniors normally get to do um, are not going to happen in our family, at least not for her in the ways that they usually happen, or at the very least, they're significant risk. So this eight-week period of time we're in right now where they're not supposed to be gatherings of folks more than 50 people, I mean, that'll take in things like Youth Sunday at church, um, the senior prom. Um, other uh, normal senior activities for high school seniors. Um, and it's interesting, my wife was pointing out to me that, you know, this generation of high school seniors, or this group of high school seniors, were all born right after 9-11. And now they're coming of age as young adults, graduating from high school, against the backdrop of the world trying to deal with COVID-19. Um, and so we've certainly been thinking about what it means to see someone prepare to end high school and go to college and make a decision about where to go to college against the backdrop of all this is going on. Um, you know, obviously, we've been trying to help our other children, uh, you know, get used to a world where uh, they're not going to school every day right? or they don't see their friends. Um, you know, it's certainly, you know, in our very unusual rhythm as a family right now, on a normal Sunday, I'm usually preaching in a different CBF congregation, and uh, they go to the church where we're members. Uh, for the next number of weeks, we're going to be worshiping together as a family at home, and uh, that'll be a, a new and unique opportunity for us. So we're, we're experiencing this personally in our family uh, in ways I imagine that are not that different from a, a lot of families uh, in and beyond our fellowship. I think personally, in terms of reflecting on this, uh, I guess my own journey with it uh, may have started a little bit earlier just because of the role I have. I mean, so we started getting briefings out of our Asia field team in early to mid-January about this virus and concerns about impacts it might have on our, the work of our field personnel in Asia. And so, you know, Stephen Porter and Sam Harrell and Eddie Rubel were making me aware of this virus uh, well before um, I would have otherwise seen it reported in the news and with a focus that I certainly wouldn't have gotten in early to mid-January. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's meant in some ways I've been thinking about it longer. I was supposed to leave today for Indonesia to be part of our Asia field team meeting. Um, was supposed to have a chance to be part of the Indonesian Baptist Convention. Uh, that was going to meet uh, next week. Um, a lot of my spring calendar had been built around that, and it became obvious really even in early February that that was not something we could do. So uh, thinking about changing rhythms and changing schedules um, because of this virus uh, in terms of the work of our field personnel and my own leadership in CBF is something that has been um, alive in me for longer than the last couple of weeks. So it's, um, 
that's a little bit about how my own journey has been. Of course, I, you know, as a, as a former pastor, uh, I think a lot about uh, what this means for my colleagues who are trying to lead congregations uh, when you can't gather on Sunday for worship, um, when you can't do in-person uh, midweek Bible studies and prayer gatherings. And so I've, I've been praying a lot uh, for pastors who I know and congregations that I know and it's pretty easy for me to still imagine what kind of questions I'd be facing if I was still the pastor of First Baptist Athens this week um, or if I was pastoring any other congregation right now. So I think about that from time to time too. Yeah, well, certainly um, knowing you, your your heart is uh, the heart of a pastor. And I imagine, as you said, your heart goes out to clergy that are leading efforts on a local level. So what advice would you give uh, to local church uh, pastors and ministers? I would hope that we would all give one another the grace of recognizing that we are in truly unchartered territory, at least uncharted in our lifetime. Uh, so there isn't an easy, obvious, immediately available playbook for uh, the things you obviously do to lead a congregation in the wake of a global health pandemic, uh, like what we face with COVID-19. Um, I think these are times where we do need to think uh, prayerfully and theologically and biblically uh, because we're having to make some really difficult decisions. So the overwhelming number of pastors I know and congregations I know of in the last several weeks have made the decision to suspend weekly Sunday morning worship. Um, that's an agonizing decision because of the value our faith tradition places on gathering in community and worshiping in community. Um, you know, Christian, Christianity has always been a communal faith since Jesus started calling people to follow him in community. Um, but in this moment, we are having as an act of love for one another and love for our neighbors to release uh, the habit of gathering together. Um, and so, you know, that's a really hard decision to make. And, and then it requires us thinking very deeply about how do we keep people connected, even in a world where we can't gather as we usually have. Uh, and so we have to ask ourselves, you know, what are the resources in scripture and what are the resources in prayer and what kind of community is available to us to help us make these decisions when all of our normal patterns and practices, uh, at least for a season, are unavailable. Um, so, you know, I think we need to find ways to speak with one another um, from the core of our faith and our faith practice so that we can support each other uh, as we will be faced with other really challenging decisions as this, as this period goes on. Um, so I think, you know, we need to offer one of the grace of recognizing that uh, we've not passed this way before. Uh, we need to offer each other the grace of recognizing that we're not in this alone, that even though a lot of our normal patterns and practices don't exist, um, the triune God is still at work among us, at work in us, available to us. Um, you know, the Great Commission, Jesus says, well, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, and there's no footnote on always. Um, you know, always actually means always. And so in this moment of adversity and in this 
season of storm. Um, Romans 8 still right. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to find ways to claim that and allow that to still us and steady us. Um, I think, uh, I guess the last thing comes to my mind as I think about your question is I think one of the real opportunities we have as pastors right now is to model what um, calm and trust look like uh, in the midst of this sea of unpredictability and anxiety. Um, you know, once we're aware through our own faith practice and through the ways others help us, that we're not alone in this, that Christ is alive, that Christ is at work in us, that we've not been left to our own devices. Um, that's not going to make all the challenges go away, but it ought to give us a certain kind of calm in the midst of the storm that would then give us an opportunity to bear witness to the source of that calm. I'm sure um, you've been on the phone with a lot of CBF leaders, a lot of pastors, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of partners over the last couple of days. What are, what are some of the remarkable stories you are hearing across the fellowship of churches responding to this crisis? So I've been really inspired already to hear stories of uh, remarkable agility and creativity. So one of the challenges of this moment we're in is that, I mean, so you and I are having this conversation on Wednesday, March the 18th. You know, eight or nine days ago, the world was completely different than it is now. And in the, in the space of eight to nine days, an overwhelming number of congregations have decided to suspend weekly worship, to suspend most of their other ways of functioning. And even in the stress and challenge and anxiety of those kinds of decisions, we're seeing examples of congregations that have pivoted very quickly to take advantage of technology, to deliver not just worship services into people's homes, but also develop, to develop home worship guides to support families as they experience worship online. Uh, I know through stories shared through our children's and youth ministry network that in CBF Life, there are uh, youth and children's ministers and volunteers who are finding really uh, creative ways to minister to the needs of youth and children and their families in the midst of adversity. I'm also hearing stories of pastoral counselors and hospital chaplains. Um, who are working day and night at risk um, to provide care already to people who um, may be at greater risk than others of us, even um, not just to, um, you know, contract COVID-19, but to develop a really serious illness. Um, but they're chaplains and pastoral counselors who the demand for their ministries and the needs for their gifts are extraordinarily high right now, and they're responding in inspiring ways. Um, the deans and faculty of our partner theological schools, you know, most of them had to pivot at spring break to figure out how to finish their semesters entirely online. And, you know, that, you know, some of our schools have had longer experiences with online instruction or cohort models than others but all of them have found ways to continue to meet the needs of students against the backdrop of all this change and uncertainty and, and 
whether it's congregational pastors or youth ministers or chaplains or pastoral counselors or theological school faculty and leadership, and of course our field personnel, um, you know, living in their own challenging environments, trying to imagine new ways to serve. I mean, so we were already focusing our global mission on people experiencing global poverty and global migration. And the threat of coronavirus, while it exists for all of us, exists even more for the most vulnerable underserved populations in the world. And they're, they're folks in our fellowship, um, you know, field personnel, together for hope practitioners, uh, congregations uh, in rural or underserved areas or in settings of urban poverty that are all figuring out ways, uh, sometimes with risk, almost always with creativity. And so when I think of all those things, you know, I see evidence of the ways the Holy Spirit is at work among us. And I see evidence of a confidence and a hope that many of our leaders are tapping into at a moment we need to draw from that most. So, yeah, it's easy to pay attention to the challenges and the changes and the risks and the vulnerabilities, and all of those things are very real. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus' message to his disciples on the last night of his life was not that it was going to be easy. It was, in the world you face tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And you have to have a confidence in the overcoming, never-ending, relentless love and presence and power of Christ to be as agile and creative and steadfast and open as so many pastors and field personnel and leaders and chaplains are in our fellowship right now. And I think we should hold up that all around us um, there are examples of folks who are showing the kind of agility and confidence and boldness that characterize the early church in Acts. And, and, I, and I'm really grateful to see that. It's inspiring. Again, I, I know you've been in all kinds of meetings and uh, pulling together of, of resources. So what are some of the resources CBF is making available to its congregations during this time? So we are in meetings this week to talk about the best ways that we can serve congregations and their leaders during this time of, of challenge and change. And as this week goes on and we get to early next week, I'm confident that we will be uh, rolling out a wide range of specific ministry resources and opportunities that, that we're right now in the development stage of. Um, but I'll say right now that there are several questions that are really guiding the way we're thinking about that. So one of them is, how can we hold up stories uh, of what congregations are doing uh, to respond to these challenges that could be inspiring or beneficial for other congregations to hear? Or how can we um, cultivate and collate um, resources that are available across our larger fellowship in a, in a single place or in a single web platform uh, that would amplify what's going on in ways that they would be more visible so that people can see and learn. We're imagining ways to give 
pastors and congregational leaders the chance to be together through technology to receive support from each other, to share stories with each other. We've received a lot of requests, Andy, just in these first several days uh, to communicate clearly about where our field personnel are right now, what their unique needs and challenges are. Uh, so our global mission staff, uh, our church engagement team, uh, we're working really hard to be able to provide useful updates for congregations that they can include in prayer, especially in the context of our encourager church relationships where congregations have already made a personal commitment to pray for and support specific field personnel. Uh, but I would say our greatest efforts are going to be in the effort of uh, strengthening the relationships we already have with congregations, both listening to congregations and often care to their leaders. Um, we're aware that while, this is a very different example, Andy, we're aware that a lot of our congregations already have access to uh, online giving platforms that they can use in times people aren't coming to church and bringing offerings. Um, but we're also increasingly aware that we may have some congregations that don't yet have access to that technology. So I was in a call this week, not just with our staff, but with some of our state regional leaders about how we can develop the most affordable, uh, easy to implement uh, existing resources in online giving so that we can make those available to churches that need help in this time of crisis. Uh, either uh, stand up those kind of opportunities or even move to more electronic kinds of um, other financial transactions. So we're thinking kind of in big picture about how we can connect people in relationship to support each other and learn from each other, pray for each other. Um, we're thinking about are there practical needs where we have uh, resources that we can offer congregations um, we're listening very attentively through all of our ongoing communication uh, to see as this, you know, we're preparing for the, the great likelihood that this, this season will not pass quickly. Um, that as we get several weeks and beyond into this time, the needs of congregations and their leaders will not be the same even as they are right now. And so it's very important for us to have structures to hear from congregations and their leaders on an ongoing basis so that um, we're not just meeting needs that are emerging right now, but that we're learning, um, you know, if this lasts weeks or months, what different needs emerge. Um, another thing that's guiding our conversations right now is how do we continue our ministry as a fellowship? Uh, the people living in poverty around the world in the United States. Um, how do we live out our mission distinctives in this unusual time? Uh, what resources can we provide congregations to help them carry out their local mission ministry in different ways at this season? One of the things that makes CBF congregations uh, really uh, faithful is, although we don't all do it the same way, there is a widespread commitment to our communities in CBF partner congregations. And I think almost all of our congregations are in communities where a lot of their nonprofit ministry partners or faith-based nonprofit partners are in really vulnerable space right now. And the people those uh, partnerships serve are highly at risk. So what does it mean to be the, the presence of Christ in our communities? 
and are there resources we can offer to congregations so that although we can't carry out mission the way we did three or four weeks ago, we're still involved in sharing Christ's love and offering Christ's compassion um, where it may be most needed. So as we're building out things over the course of this week, those are some of the questions that are on our minds. And we wouldn't have the Bible if people didn't think and reflect theologically about what God was doing in their lives in crisis. And I know it's hard to project out um, what all this is going to mean down the road. Um, but right now, yes. how, how should we begin to understand all this theologically? That's a, I think that's a really, really, really important question. Um, so I think, first of all, at least in, so in my own theological reflection, um, you know, something I've already said has become increasingly important to me. I had a chance recently to preach, um, uh, probably for the last time in a gathered congregation for quite some time. And the, the text I was using was from the fourth chapter of Mark, where Jesus is on the boat with his disciples and the storm comes. And at first he's asleep, they wake him. Um, I think theologically it's really important for us to recognize that we are not in this alone, that Christ is with us, that God is at work. Um, you know, that often misunderstood passage in Romans 8, all things work together for those who love God. That passage doesn't say that all things are good, but it, it affirms that a loving, creative, redeeming, reconciling, resurrecting God is at work all the time. And he's seeking people of faith through whom he can work. Uh, so the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how is God, um, how is the triune God seeking to work in remarkable, loving, resurrecting ways through us individually and through our congregations? Um, I think another uh, theological reality that I'm grappling with a lot is, you know, it's easy in a season like this to pay attention to what we're accustomed to doing that we can't do in a time like this. But if we take seriously that we follow a God who raises dead people, a, a, a more important question for us right now ought to be, what new thing can we do in this moment? Or what new habits can we form in this moment that might serve us far beyond this moment? So that, you know, later on, when the storm is stilled and we move out of this immediate crisis phase, you know, years down the road, we might look back and say, the Holy Spirit taught us something in that season that has transformed our witness well after it was over. So that we, we can't always see the way God is making all things new on the stage of this kind of a, a crisis, but we have to have the confidence that God is always at work doing new things. Um, you know, I personally um, don't believe that everything that happens in the world is something that God causes or God creates. But I do believe that against the backdrop of the worst things this world has to offer, God works for good. And I think that's actually the story of Good Friday to Easter. 
you know, the, the way the earliest church spoke about Easter was, you know, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised up. You know, um, the old Easter hymn, the powers of death had done their worst, but Christ their legion hath dispersed. <laughs> so, you know, there's always an opportunity for newness. And so I wonder, Andy, when we look back on this season with a clarity we cannot see now, how will we see that God was working to remake us in the midst of this storm? What new thing, what resurrection, what newness, you know, faith understands that you and I don't understand the answer to that question right now. But faith claims that one day we will look back and see the answer to that question. So I think recognizing that God is at work in ways we cannot see and that in this moment of grief and change and challenge, um, God is present for us, holding us, helping us, caring for us, and that beyond that boundless compassion and love and provision, God is working in this moment to do something new, and God is inviting us to join that work. I want to look back on the day where we can say with clarity all the ways God worked even now in ways we could not see. Well, Paul, thank you for taking time to have this conversation and thank you for your extraordinary adaptive leadership in this very unusual crisis we are working through together as a fellowship. And, you know, Andy, I think I, while you and I are talking and we're talking with some other folks in our fellowship, you know, the commitment we want to make uh, as a fellowship, whether it's our staff in Decatur field personnel around the world, our state and regional partners, our theological schools, other ministry partners is we believe we have a necessary work together to do right now. And that our commitment to our congregations and their leaders has never been stronger. And you use the phrase adaptive. This moment's going to require adaptation and agility and change and that's going to require grace and patience for all of us. And so um, we're going to need each other in these months. And uh, we look forward um, to finding ways to support each other and care for each other. So thank you. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website 
healthychurch.org to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.